Welcome to Makers on the Rise, a collaborative podcast hosted by me, maker and photographer, Christina Nicole. Makers on the Rise is for product-based creatives who own their own business and want to learn how to grow a profitable, sustainable, and scalable brand aligned with their personal values and goals. Tune in for real conversations and coaching focused on elevating your brand. Are you ready to rise? Hello, loves. Welcome to episode three of the Thriving on Etsy series. Today, I have Jeanette LeBlanc from Paper and Spark joining me to talk to you about pricing your products for profit. Jeanette is a CPA and a maker herself, and she started crafting jewelry back in 2011 and noticed a lot of her fellow makers had questions about the financial side of running their shops. So she decided to put her accounting background to work and founded Paper and Spark in 2014. Paper and Spark provides resources and educational content to help creatives feel more confident about their biz finances. And so when I started my handmade business in 2015, I came upon Jeanette and absolutely love her spreadsheets and everything that she's about. So Jeanette, can you tell us a little bit about like what you were kind of seeing in the maker community and the handmade community and how you felt just this need to kind of, you know, I'm assuming help makers simplify the process. Yeah, of course. Um, Well, when I first got started selling jewelry and being a part of the maker community, there there just seemed to be a lot of confusion out there on these sorts of topics, a lot of overwhelm, and not just some simple, clear, straightforward answers. It, It seems like there's a lot of accounting or tax advice out there, but it's not made for us, right? It's not made for the handmade community. You might find stuff for like big, small businesses, or you may find information for online service providers. Um, but it just didn't, I just couldn't find clear answers, even for my own business um, as an accountant for the maker community. So that's really why I started, I just, I didn't, I didn't set out to like start a business about running your business. I just started blogging about it as a jewelry maker. And once I saw how well received those explanations, those resources were, I was like, this is really something that this community is looking for. So let's create more resources on these topics for us. That's so awesome. Now, are you still, do you still have your handmade business or do have you fully transitioned into coaching makers? I have pretty much fully transitioned into running paper and spark. I kept the jewelry going for several years simultaneously. And I actually also started creating desktop products like binders and journals and notebooks and stuff. Um, But paper and spark has just grown so much that I haven't been able to juggle the physical product businesses with the the digital product businesses yeah. basically. I'm telling you, you are definitely like the it girl for for makers when it comes to finances because you I just remember back in when I started in 2015, I was using your spreadsheets. And even then I remember reaching out to you and being like, I got what is it, the 10 or what is the thing we get from Etsy? The ten, uh, yes, I got that. And I'm like, why do they not match? Like, <laughs> help me, please. And you were so helpful. And um, it's just like, I actually use your 
personal, like your home, mm-hmm. um, you know, spreadsheet too. So when I see an Etsy groups, I see a lot of makers that, you know, they make their products and whether it's kind of after Etsy takes their fees or even sometimes when it comes tax time and they're like, okay, I made no money. Like what, what am I doing wrong? I'm assuming this is probably what you see the most. So can you kind of give like maybe a runoff checklist of things that like hidden costs that when it comes into like eating into your profit that makers may not be considering when it comes to pricing. So the goal of, you know, this episode is pricing for profit. So thinking about all of, you know, the, the cost that you have to run your business, the fees, the time that you're investing, if you could go into just some of those hidden costs that are considered hidden to makers mm-hmm. um, and just kind of where you see makers kind of go wrong in the beginning and they end up making no profit. Right. I think that that is a really common problem, especially in the first few years of selling. Um, I feel like the really obvious costs are the cost of your supplies, the cost of your raw materials. When we start to set prices for our goods, you know, maybe we'll start out with some sort of pricing formula and we usually just incorporate the cost of the stuff that goes into that product. So the hidden costs, the most commonly overlooked costs are really everything else, everything other than the obvious costs of your product itself. And that can be things like Etsy fees, credit card processing fees, shipping is always more expensive than we think it's going to be. But even beyond that, you know, you're investing in tools and equipment that you need to recoup over time. You're probably investing in props for taking your photos and the light box and the light ring. And then we have education, you know, we're investing in memberships and a course on product photography and courses on tweaking your SEO. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many other costs in running a successful business. And those are usually what end up eating into our profit margin at the end of the day. So when you price your products, it's not just about knowing your product costs. It's about knowing all the costs of running your business and being able to reflect that somehow in your pricing strategy, whether you use a formula or some other method of considering those, those costs, those expenses. Okay. And how, so I, do you find that a lot of makers like don't consider like the time that it takes as well? So a lot of makers aren't necessarily paying themselves, um, for, you know, their time. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Labor, thinking of your own time and paying yourself for your labor is another really tricky topic um, because it can be difficult to pay yourself a true like hourly wage for the time you put into your business. Because just like with those product versus non-product costs, you have time of actually creating your good and then all the other hours that you put into running your business, you know, photographing the product, listing the product, researching stuff, marketing and social media. Um, It's definitely something that you want to consider. I love just tracking my time just to, just out of curiosity, like track your time for a week and see how many hours you're putting into running your shop. Um, And then I like to look at my overall business profit margin 
it's not necessarily something that you can do on a per product level, but definitely way too many of us do not pay ourselves what we deserve for all our hard work, if anything at all. I know a lot of makers don't even pay themselves at all in the first few years of running mm-hmm. their shop, um, which to me is a recipe for burnout eventually, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, how would you, so especially when let's say Etsy sellers in general may not be pricing for profit, right? But then part of, do you include competition as part of kind of that business model or that, forget what you call it, like calculator to calculate what you are going to be pricing your products at and how much did you consider what the competition is, is pricing theirs at? What would be your advice on that? That is such a touchy topic for people. Um, personally, I say, don't look at your competition. Don't, don't bother looking at your competition, especially if you're an Etsy seller looking at other Etsy sellers. And I know that that comment will be met with some flack, but to me, you've got to start by looking at your numbers and your own personal financial goals. What do you need to take home for your, from your business for your hard work? What do you need to pay yourself? Um, you can work backwards from that take-home pay goal to figure out what your sales need to look like based on what you know your expenses and your profit margin look like and the cost of your products. You know, this is all about knowing your numbers um, because a lot of times we may have a goal like, hey, I want to pay myself. 10k for my hard work and if you don't really dig deep into that you may not realize that that's going to require selling so many products that you physically don't have time to even create mm-hmm. you know so you're never going to reach that goal you're just going to keep working and working and working towards frustration um i so i think your prices should be based on knowing your own costs knowing your own goals knowing your own numbers now Are we still going to be tempted to look at the prices that our competitors set? Sure. I don't blame people for wanting Mm -hmm. that. But number one, you don't know what's going on with that Etsy seller. Maybe it looks like they're making tons of sales, but they could have $0 in the bank account. We don't know if they're pricing for profit or if they're running their own business into the ground. And number two, like, I I know when I say like, oh, okay, you've dug into your numbers and you figured out what your prices need to be. And you're looking at that price. And you compare it to your competitor and you're like, it's twice as much as what everyone else is charging. I'm the type of person I firmly believe there's a, there's an ideal customer out there for every type of business, for every type of product. Um, And it's at that point, if you need to price that much higher than the competition to run a profitable business that will support you, now it becomes a question of how are you going to attract an ideal client, an ideal customer that will support that price that you need to charge. Uh, Then it becomes something totally outside my sphere of expertise, a marketing, a positioning, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a value type of question of how you're going to market to that type of person. Right. But I think there's a customer out there for every price point, you know, We've all seen, is it Tiffany that, that sells like the $1,000 paperclip, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Nobody's> buying it. <laughs> not me. <laughs> yeah, not me either, but. <laughs> no, I totally, there's so much you just said that I just want to unravel. Um, but that's totally, 
I fully agree with you. And it does come like if you want to charge that high price point, um, especially let's talk about that competition for a second, because a lot of times, like especially if you want to be more of a high end handmade business, Etsy is not necessarily your competition. Um, right. And a lot of people, I think, go into it thinking, well, that's what people are going to see when they're shopping. Right. But you have to think outside of that back box and look at even those those big companies and look at what they're doing and what they're pricing at and really set those goals higher for you. And I love that you started with that, like because even in you know the coaching industry, it's the same thing. Like we want to make a certain amount when we go to launch this product. Well, do, can we realistically hit those numbers, whatever it is, based on our email list, based on whatever? Is that something that's even feasible um, to happen or take place. And that's such a good point in the product-based industry where can you even fulfill that many, you know, orders yourself? So is that where you think a lot of makers should kind of like start? Like what are your, um, just in general, I think it's a good place. And I think a step that a lot of makers skip over in general is thinking about what, how do I want to move forward? Where do I want this business to go? What goals do I have for this business? Um, but that I never kind of thought about that as an essential piece for pricing though, like to right. really kind of uncover, like, can I reach this goal and, and how do I incorporate the pricing of my products with this goal? So do you kind of think that's a good place to start? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great place to start. And uh, I think a lot of us don't do that until later on. And so the sooner you do it in the process of running your business, the better off you're going to be. Because not only will you have goal posts in mind now, like I have specific numbers and sales goals that I'm working towards, but you'll also be able to see sooner rather than later, okay, if this is my goal to be able to pay myself this amount at the end of the year for the work that I'm doing. Um, and I'm priced, you know, you can take, you can work backwards from that to set a sales goal, divide your sales goal by the average price of your products, see what those orders look like. If that number feels totally unattainable to you, you can make changes now, right? Instead mm -hmm. of figuring that out six months, 12 months later, that the goal you've set for yourself isn't even reachable. And one of those changes that you could make is changing your prices, right? Raising your prices, because then I can meet my sales goal with a lot fewer sales. Um, it's not the only answer to that problem, but the point is, you know, whether it's achievable, how attainable it is now, instead of after you've been running like the hamster on the wheel for, for so long, trying to get to a goal that is not mm -hmm. possible. Well, and you mentioned something a few minutes back about like thinking about all the time that you're putting in, because I think we're tracking your time. I thought that was such a valuable point because, you know, especially if you're a handmade seller and you're a mother and you're a mm -hmm. wife and you're taking care of family and you're taking care of house, you literally feel like you constantly work. It doesn't matter if it's on your business or with your kids or, you know, on the house, the husband, whatever it is, you feel like you do not stop. And that was one thing I feel like in both of my businesses that I kind of had a realization with is because you feel like you constantly are on the go by tracking how much time you're actually investing into your business. And this isn't just about pricing, you know, for profit. This is also about like, you know, you see so many makers say, I work my business nonstop and it's just not going anywhere. Like, what can I do? And really taking inventory of the time that you're actually investing in your business is super important because we feel like we don't stop. 
So that kind of can become a little skewed um, with that perspective there. So I think that's important, important to point out. Like if you can have that confidence in yourself to say, okay, like my stuff is good. And if you're part of your proposition, your value proposition, or the thing that sets you apart is quality, or you have something of value that sets you apart from your competition and you can get to that high price point, it really, it's so much easier to work for one sale versus 10 sales. And I think so many makers undervalue um, you know, themselves or their work, or they think people won't be willing to purchase, you know, the product. And I'm a prime example of that. Like we had a very high price point product because we would ship personalized, um, wood establishment signs in one to three days. Um, and that no, none of our competition was offering a one to three day turnaround. They were all, you know, basically one to two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so people were willing to pay that high premium for, for that service. And it's so important to, to think about. So, um, we talked about what they should makers should be kind of considering before they price their products, but what, at what point do they, or what is your, so say they go through the whole process of everything you just said, but that price point would be like, they feel is completely outrageous. So where do you um, kind of backtrack on that and say, okay, maybe I can spend less time here. Or let's talk about supplies a little bit too, because a lot of makers first start out just buying like stuff at Lowe's or buying stuff at Hobby Lobby. Like, can you get into that a little bit? Right. There's, so let's say you're using like a pricing formula or something and you're looking at your goals, you're looking at your own numbers and you come out with a price that just feels totally uncomfortable, too outrageous, like you said, to set it at. What are you going to do? There's a couple of different paths you can take, you know, trying to meet in the middle. Um, I, I would try and figure out what your absolute bottom is, you know, at what point does the product not become worth selling? If you have to, if you have to price it at X number to feel comfortable putting it out there, which is probably your own mindset issues, first of all, but if you have to price it this low, what's your profit going to be on it? Is that worth your time? Is that going to help you meet your financial goals or is it time to, tweak the product and figure out something else to, to make and sell and pivot. Right. So one option is just scrapping the product altogether. If you really feel like you can't price it where it needs to be priced for it to be worth it for, you know, another option. Yeah. Is how can you reduce the cost of this product? If you can get the costs in your pricing formula to be lower, it's going to spit out a lower price for you, right? So can you shop around and find a lower cost of supplies? Maybe you need to buy in bulk, get your wholesale license, stop buying it at Lowe's and paying retail. Um, Or maybe it's a question of um, lowering those overhead costs, those non-supply business expenses that you've got going on. Maybe you need to cut back on those expenses to make the total cost of running your business, um, leaner, you know, you're running a leaner business, something, something looking into like profit first or something like that is, is a good tip side note. If, if that's what you're considering, or maybe, you know, you, you need to tweak your overall financial goals. You have the take-home pay goal. Maybe you based your pricing on what you want your hourly rates to be. 
maybe that's going to become your two or your three year goal that you're going to work up towards. And year one, you know, you're going to pay yourself a slightly lower rate than what your ideal is while you're building up your business to get to that point. So there's lots of different ways you can spin it to meet in the middle of where you feel comfortable. Um, I would encourage anyone to, you know, look at your own imposter syndrome though. Like Mm -hmm. we, we can go higher than we think we can. It it takes baby steps of growing that confidence, I think. Um, But anytime you're hearing like that cha-ching and you're like, oh man, I have to go fill another order. Like that's a sign to me, your prices need to be higher. (laughs) You're not paying yourself enough. (laughs) If you feel a little kick in the gut when you hear the cha-ching, you're not priced high enough. (laughs) Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah. I remember that transition, that transition to, I got a sale to, oh my God, I got a sale. (laughs) Okay. Time to raise your prices. Um, have you read the book profit first by Mike McAllowitz? Yes, I have. Okay. So do you, do you agree with, um, a lot of what he teaches in there? Yeah. I love the profit first philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree with the concepts and everything. I think that sometimes micro businesses like ours don't need to quite make it as complex mm-hmm. as he suggests. Yeah. I think it turns a lot of makers off. Like this is too much for me, all these different bank accounts and stuff, but the principles, the concepts, 100%. I think that, um, I mean, that's what the whole pricing process to me is, is starting with your take-home pay goal, starting with your profit first, right? Building in the ability to be able to pay yourself into your whole business model, I think very important. Yeah. And that definitely is, I know for myself was not the mindset. Like when I Mm -hmm. read that book, I was like, wow, like that's my problem because I was that typical probably maker who I made money and I spent the money. Like Mm -hmm. you want to, you want to talk profit, like at the end of the year, it wasn't really there because I was buying you know, new office equipment, or I was buying more courses, or I was buying, um, you know, new tools, because we worked right. out in the garage, and I wanted, yeah. you know, that drill press, or that new saw, or whatever it was. But when I, so the concept of profit first is that you decide on, like you said, you decide on the amount of money that you actually want to make, and you pay yourself first, right. and then outside of that, you keep your overhead, which I think that is the biggest takeaway that I had from that book was keeping your overhead under a certain percentage. So if you didn't have necessarily, you weren't making the money to buy, you know, that new desk for your office or, you know what I mean? You're just keeping Mm -hmm. that percentage percentage down. And I think that's so, so important because a lot of makers don't have that mindset to pay themselves first. Right. It's basically like flipping the typical mindset is I make sales. I have money from the sales. I buy things for the business with the sales, anything left over from that I'll pay myself with. Mm -hmm. We're flipping that mindset to, I make sales. I pay myself anything left over from that I can spend on running the business. So it's totally flipping how we typically consider paying ourselves. Yeah. That was a perfect, perfect example. Um, I see a lot of makers as well that let's talk a little bit about like replacing products or pricing to, um, endure like some replacements or pricing to handle like, you know, shipping while you can, you know, go to UPS and put in, you know, the requests for damage. Sometimes you don't get it, especially if you don't have insurance. So I see a lot of makers, you know, will say, 
or they spend the money as it comes in and they mm-hmm. don't have ex- what, what do you call that? Is that just damages in general or uh, replacement? Like what would be the technical term to you mean incorporate? Like when an item gets like lost in the mail or a customer breaks it and you're going to reship them a free product. Yeah. It's like we all, so customer service was a huge thing for us and we always went above and beyond. So like, even if somebody like accidentally spelled a name wrong, like kind of what's, what's your take on, on this? Because I think we were overly like kind to our customers. Like we had um, a lot of gifts that were being sent out to people. And sometimes the recipient would message me and be like, Hey, like I got this gift. It's from your shop. Um, you know, my sister-in-law bought it for me, but she spelled our name wrong. Like, can we, you know, handle this some way where she doesn't have to know? And I'd be like, sure, I'll send you a new one or um, just just any example like that to be able to provide that above and beyond customer service. How are right. you potentially incorporating that into your pricing? Um, and I think it kind of goes along with the whole free shipping concept too, because I know for me, I never wanted to touch the free shipping because shipping to my you know state next door in Georgia was $14, but shipping out to California was 50. Um, right. So it was kind of hard to find that balance. Just, right. you know, those are some additional things for people to consider. So how would you incorporate that in your pricing as well? To me, that's all about just having a really deep understanding of your numbers. And when you're first getting started, you don't have any numbers to know. So you kind of have to fly into it a little bit blind, fly into it going off of guesstimates. But like after a few months of running your shop, you should be tracking those specific types of costs, like the customer service, like sending out free products, free replacement products, or just like tracking that in one bucket. So you can have an estimate like, you know, okay, I'm spending about this much extra money on free product every month. So I need to make sure that this is incorporated into what I would use as an overhead rate in my pricing formula. Like I'm just adding a flat five bucks to the cost of everything to help me cover that bucket for when the expense actually comes. Same thing for free shipping. I'm going to track exactly how much I am truly spending on shipping each month so that I can start to get a really accurate average of how much it's costing me and make sure that cost is reflected in my pricing as best as possible. Um, Really done through an overhead rate, which is kind of like an average that you're just adding on to the price to help you cover those actual expenses when they come up, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And so what other situations um, do you think makers come across where they should consider evaluating uh, their prices or raising their prices? Or how often do you think that, you know, maker, at what point do they, should pricing be reevaluated? I would, depending on the volume of your sales, I would evaluate it either monthly or quarterly. Um, I mean, at the very least annually, but probably quarterly is a nice point. And what I would really do, I think we tend to get caught up a lot in like the per product margins. And that's a little too granular for me. Sometimes I would start by looking at just your overall business profit margin. So when I say your profit margin, I mean, your net income, which is sales minus expenses divided by your sales. So net income divided by sales is going to give you your business's profit margin. Um, Let's say it's like 
0.4. So that's 40%. That means for every dollar I make in sales, I keep 40 cents. So I spent 60. Um, for a, a maker business, a physical product business, we're usually somewhere between like 30 and 50%. The higher, obviously the better, but keeping in mind what your own personal goal is, I would crunch that one big number every month or every quarter. What's my overall business profit margin? Does it feel like it's in a healthy place to me? If yes, prices are good. Spending is in line. If no, then it's time to be like, okay, what needs to change for me to boost this profit margin and get to a healthier place? And that may mean it's time to look at changing your prices. There's other things you can do to boost your profit margin, but that's really what I would, I would do to, to check in on whether my prices are good every now and then is, is look at my overall business profit margin. Okay. And you said about 30 to 50 is pretty good for, for makers when it comes yeah, to yeah. how I much think they're keeping. Yeah, the higher, the better. So if you're at 60 or 70, that's awesome. But usually makers, we have such a high cost of supplies, you know, we're buying all the fabric mm-hmm. and the shiny jewels and stuff. So um, sometimes it's hard to get to 30. Sometimes we're negative. Sometimes we're spending more than we're making, you know, but um, usually 30 to 50 is a good place to be. And then I see a lot of recommendations and I'm curious if this is a recommendation for you, but if, so if people are starting to get way too many sales and they can potentially handle, mm-hmm. um, I've seen longer processing times, but I've also seen price raising. Is that something that you recommend when things start to become on overload, just to kind of slow, slow sales a little bit. Yeah, Honestly, for, for sure. me, it never worked. Like my sales really <laughs> never slowed, which is funny because that proves that point right there that people are willing yes. to pay for your products. So it may right. not work. <laughs> right. I definitely think that the first course of action when that happens should be raising your prices. If that doesn't, you know, solve the supply and demand problem for you, like demand is still totally there, um, even at the higher price, then you can raise prices again or use the extra money you're making to hire some help. You know, at that yeah. point, you have more cushion, more leeway. Um, but yeah, I love, I love the idea of raising your prices when your when your demand gets too high for you to handle for sure. Do you have like an average, um, like hourly wage that you see kind of makers paying themselves? I think a lot of people go into this thinking, I mean, I have no, no clue what I, what I'm worth. Do you see kind of like a a benchmark or an average when it comes to makers? I really don't. I, okay. I'm in the in the pricing spreadsheet that I sell, there's a place where you can put in your hourly rate. And like when I look at customer spreadsheets, I see that number all across the board, like $3 yeah. an hour, $50 an hour <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. And again, it's one of those tricky things to me because we we work so many hours in our business and it's not just in the making. So how are you considering your hourly rate? You know, is it all the hours that you're working in your business or just the time it took for me to make this necklace? You know, because obviously that will really impact whether you're making $3 an hour or not. Um, I, I usually just start by looking at that overall take-home pay goal. Like, what do I want to be able to take out of my business bank account 
when the whole year is over. Like I want to be able to pay myself $20,000 or I want to be able to replace my day job income. And that's X amount of dollars. Um, what that ends up being on an hourly level though, uh, just, just varies so much, um, based on how much you're, you're putting into the business. I think that it's an interesting number to calculate though. Like what's your take home pay goal for the year. Mm -hmm. Now time yourself for a week, see what that hourly rate is and how that makes you feel. <laughs> yeah. Cause I want to reiterate the actually calculating the time you're putting in, because I'm telling you, your perspective will be skewed. Um, yeah. so you mentioned kind of setting that year goal. Like this is what I want to take home for a year. But mm -hmm. when we're looking at, say you move, um, you know, to a supplier and suppliers are going to have minimums and you're spending a lot of out, like spending a lot of money one month, um, mm -hmm. and maybe not bringing that, that in, do you suggest kind of, and I think we talked about this a little bit, but reevaluating it every quarter, like watching those numbers. So then in turn, because I guess the reason I'm asking this question is because a couple months can be slow. And then obviously mm -hmm. in Christmas, right. You know, Christmas, you know, your, your orders can be, you know, three X or whatever. Yeah. So how do they kind of as a maker, when your orders are fluctuating or you're spending more one month than you are another, how do you work to project that goal realistically for the year? Yeah. I mean, it's always a moving target and I don't think that, I think that slower seasons in our industry is totally normal and you shouldn't let it discourage you. If, if I think they say like, so a majority of retailers don't come into the black until after Thanksgiving, right? Because of cyber week. Um, so I think that's totally normal. Um, as far as how to do it, like with setting goals, just the, the longer that you're going, the longer that you've been in business, the better you'll be able to set those goals, the more mm -hmm. accurately you'll be able to forecast, you know, having one year of data under your belt and being able to look at like, okay, I made like 25 no, like 50% of the whole year sales in Q4. So mm -hmm. I'm going to plan for that again next year. Like you can use that data to set your goals. I know year one, you're kind of, like I said, flying in a little bit blind. Um, so I just wouldn't judge yourself too harshly during the beginning when you're first learning how to look at your numbers and your metrics that way. Yeah. And do you think that there are products out there that are not worth making because there's little to no profit margin for them? Yeah, I think those products exist. Um, I there and there are definitely I get comments from makers all the time, you know, people who quilt, people who crochet, people who do really like time intensive stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way I can charge what I want for my hourly rate. Um for this product because no one would pay it again you know will somebody will no one really pay it can is there any sort of positioning or branding you know maybe it's like i need to get off etsy and have my own site where like people aren't shopping around and i'm building an audience that's very loyal to me you know those sorts of things are possible and it's also what's your whole business mix i your, your product mix you know there are going to be some products where the profit margin is very low but I'm also complementing that with, 
I have, I have my digital crochet patterns where I'm making like 100% or, you know, 95% Mm -hmm. profit anytime this sells. And overall, that overall business profit margin is in a healthy place. That's why I don't like to get too granular with like each and every product. Overall, your business is in a good place. And you're not like making a product where, you know, you're draining yourself of time and energy and getting paid hardly anything. Um, Then overall, we're in a good place, right? So sometimes it's about having the the right mix of products too. So many things to consider. <laughs> and you mentioned the digital products. So my next question for you is going to be kind of what's your best advice on raising that profit margin? And would you consider digital adding digital products to be one of the one of those options? Yeah, I mean, digital products are definitely a nice way to pad your profit margin because you don't have those costs of supplies. Um, so changing your product mix is always something to consider there with raising your profit margin. Um, to me, the easiest way to boost your profit margin, I have, I have three suggestions outside mm-hmm. of the digital product one. Um, the easiest thing is the least sexy thing to do. And that is lower your spent, your spending, decrease your expenses. The easiest way to increase your profit margin is to decrease your expenses. So anything you can do to put boundaries around your spending will help with that. Um, second, make sure you're actually tracking your profit margin on a consistent basis. Um, because if you're not if you're not tracking it to begin with, you're not going to be working towards improving it. So sometimes just knowing where you're at makes you make smarter decisions going forward, not ignoring that number. Mm -hmm. Um, And the third thing that I really like is working on your average order value. So that is a metric that I love to talk about your average order value. It's how much the typical customer spends with you at checkout. Um, And boosting that metric can be one of the easier ways to increase your overall profit margin. And obviously increasing your prices is one of the ways you can increase your average order value, increase how much your customer pays at checkout by increasing your prices. But there are so many other creative ways that you can increase how much your customer is going to pay you at checkout other than just increasing your prices, like, you know, offering bundles gift sets of popular products. Um, all making sure they know that, okay, you're buying this mom dress. Did you know that I have a matching daughter dress that goes with it? Maybe you want to buy both, you know, all sorts of different things that you can dig into to increase your average order value. That's, that's a great example. Like I teach that in the product photography realm of it all, like creating images of complementary products grouped together so that you can upsell, and all that. I love that. Um, tell us when it comes tax time, which rolls around, when do you start seeing like, okay, pause for a second, because if they're anything like me, I waited till January to even think about it, which is the worst. And I'm telling you, I never had a profit and that is why, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, and this was just like, you know, the two years that I was running the business as far as the handmade side went, because we get so busy, right? So do you see a lot of makers that are still, still doing that? Like waiting until the last minute, what's your oh, yeah. advice on that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is, I don't even know my, my eighth, my seventh or eighth year of business. So I can like predict the implosion. 
it's like makers are so busy November, early December, shipping out all those holiday orders. It's like December 28th, my inbox like implodes on itself. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so freaking out. Your end, give me a spreadsheet. I haven't opened this all year. Help me. Um, yes, that's the biggest tax mistake I see. It's just not doing anything for 12 months. So really your advice would be if you want to increase your profit margin, start doing your monthly stuff with the spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, there's some common saying out there, you manage what you monitor, right? And if you're not looking at it, you're not improving it. So just mm-hmm. the simple act of updating your books, doing your numbers as consistently each month as possible. I firmly believe that act alone will help you make more money, will increase your profit margin. And it has the added bonus of making tax time a lot less stressful for you. It's kind of like unloading the dishwasher. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand unloading the dishwasher. But the funny thing is it only takes about five minutes. And I remember I would rush through January through like March to get taxes done. And then I'd be like, I'm not doing this next year. So March, April, May, I did pretty good. I'd keep up with the monthly and it would only take what, like maybe an hour to like track everything or something super easy. And then I would, you know, fall to the (laughs) side with it. So would you say the biggest mistake you see Etsy sellers making come tax time, like, or What's like one of the biggest mistakes you see Etsy sellers making when, when they haven't tracked all year and now tax time has come, what would be your best advice there? Um, my best advice is just taking it in bite-sized chunks at that point. You know, you usually get to year end and you come to this realization around January, you still have what, three and a half months to get it done before taxes are due. Um, have a bookkeeping system to support you. You know, obviously I'm biased in my spreadsheets, but any bookkeeping system that clicks well with your brain that you understand how to use, that's the best option for you. Um, and just take it baby step by baby step. You know, I'd like to get my calendar out. You have X many weeks until you want to file your taxes. This week, I'm going to focus on catching up for January. I'm going to start day one by just inputting or importing my January sales into my system. Then I'm going to find all my January receipts on day two. Then on day three, I'm going to enter the January receipts. You know, just take it in bite-sized steps. You don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight. Um, the, The... the, the hardest part is just trying to remember what you spent your money on, you know, 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's usually a question of crawling through all of your paperwork and your email receipts and getting caught up. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, obviously I'm super biased to your spreadsheets as well. And I almost think that was partly allowed me to partly delay because I knew with confidence that because I had your spreadsheets and because I had all the tutorials that went with them, that I'd be able to fly through, you know, catching up and getting all of, all of that done. So, um, it's been a few years since I've, I mean, I used the personal paper and spark, um, spreadsheet at this point, but can you tell us a little bit about what paper and spark is currently doing, what paper and spark currently offers, 
um, and just give us some insight to um, just what you have going on currently for your customers. My bread and butter are, or is my bread and butter is spreadsheets, (laughs) bookkeeping templates. Um, I have bookkeeping templates that allow you to just copy and paste your CSVs from your e-commerce platform into the spreadsheet. And there's built-in formulas that will pull the data you need. So I have those for Etsy, Amazon, Shopify, Squarespace, um, a couple other of the most popular platforms. Um, I also have inventory spreadsheets. Inventory is a whole thing at tax time where you're tracking cost of goods sold and figuring out your ending inventory numbers. Um, The inventory spreadsheets also help you price your products for profit, which is what we've chatted about today. Um, And I also have several courses that help you get your financial ducks in a row or around your end. I do have the bite-sized bookkeeping bootcamp which is designed to help those of us who wait the whole year to do our books. Um, It basically helps you break down all the work into those tiny chunks. And I walk you through it baby step by baby step so that you're left with your completed numbers ready to go for your taxes. Awesome. And you also offer PayPal, correct? Yes. There's a PayPal seller spreadsheet too. Do you do Stripe by chance? No, Stripe, okay. their, their dashboard is pretty straightforward. So I do have a video tutorial on my YouTube account that shows you how to get your Stripe numbers into a paper and spark spreadsheet. Um, just like manually finding the right number and typing it in, but I don't have a spreadsheet that will import specifically for Stripe. Okay. And they go to paperandspark.com. Yes. To see all that. Okay. And before we close it up here, do you have I want one, one piece of advice, your best piece of advice to um, help makers thrive on Etsy and um, price for profit. Um, what do you think gives the best outcome? One piece of advice. <laughs> the best outcome. I mean, the best outcome is just having confidence in yourself, in your work, in your talent, in your pricing. The more confident you get, the easier pricing will get. Um, and that sometimes just takes time and customers giving you good feedback, um, knowing your numbers, feeling really confident and knowing what you need to charge. And I really believe that knowing all that, having all of that knowledge in your toolkit can allow you to build an Etsy shop or an online shop that will sustain you long-term, you know, be profitable and sustainable long-term. That's the goal. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for coming. I am super, super appreciative of your time and just uh, for having you on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Good chat. Do you have questions about taking your own product photos for your handmade shop? Join me inside of my private community at productphotographyhelp.com to get your questions answered. It's free at productphotographyhelp.com.